the heart of Sharjah. Pulse 95. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. Welcome to Life Beats with me, Sally Musa on Pulse 95. Now, uh, bullying has definitely been in the headlines a lot lately, and rightly so. It's an issue that needs to be dealt with, uh, whether it be at school in relationships or in the workplace. And it seems, though, that the more we hear about it, the more bullying is confused with other issues or life, uh, life's normal setbacks, really. If you're not invited to a birthday party, if you're ignored by a friend at recess, if your feelings are hurt uh, in any way, it doesn't always mean that it's bullying. Here to tell us more are Daniela Salazar, clinical psychologist at Lighthouse Arabia, and Lisa Riffiger, principal at Clarion School. Hello and welcome, ladies. Welcome, Sally. Great to have you both with us. Uh, now, uh, bullying it has been in the headlines, as we've been saying. Um, something that stood out for me, uh, actually, uh, I know you're both from the United States. Um, the first lady of the US, Melania Trump, she, you always have the first ladies that have their campaign for something, you know, when uh, their husband is in the White House. And she's kind of chosen cyberbullying as her thing. Um, with her be best campaign and that that kind of thing but what she's kind of said is at the same time is uh, I am probably the most bullied person in the world it, it, it's really interesting I want to um, kind of go from there and just to kind of say uh, yes we hear about bullying a lot but what is it let's go right from the very beginning uh, Daniela what exactly is bullying well, bullying is a misuse of power in relationships through repeated verbal, social, and um, yeah, just mainly social and verbal and physical uh, behaviors that cause psychological and physical harm. Mm. And um, this can be done by an individual or by a group of people who use misuse this power in relationships. Um, like you said, there are different types of bullying. There is social bullying, which means... Um, the exclusion or the isolation of people. And this can be um, very traumatic and very, um, very subtle. And I think this is the one that I, I think we should talk about a little bit more in a minute. Um, there's also verbal bullying, which just means, um, you know, just saying mean words, really just focusing on stereotypes of physical, cultural, uh, religion, religious beliefs, and just, you know, verbally being abusive. Um, there is the physical bullying, which means, you know, being shoving and physically intimidating one another, um, stealing property from the other person. And there's cyberbullying, which is the one that you just mentioned. Mm. And um, this one just has to do with just, you know, saying rude things and mean things over the Internet. You know, social media is such a big thing right now, you know, with, with kids, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook. And, you know, these things are happening and they're real. So, um, yeah, it just involves a lot of different types of, of situations that can be considered bullying. But at the same time, it's, it's an overused word, in my opinion. And um, we need to really go back to the drawing board and reframe this word with children and understand um, what it really means. Because, um, like I said, these different types of bullying are happening, but not all, all the situations that arise can be considered bullying. Right. So when isn't it 
When isn't it bullying? Well, um, there are different situations. For example, if there's a conflict, mm. um, let me just go back. So there's three different ways of um, identifying bullying, and they're called the three Ps. The first one is power, if there's an imbalance of power in the relationship. If there is a purpose, if the action is done on purpose. Or pattern, if this is something that is repetitively done over time. So we really need to take these three Ps into consideration. So, for example, let's take a situation where there's teasing. When we're teasing each other, you know, there isn't an imbalance of power. Everyone's participating. Everyone in one sense or another are having fun. You know, when you tease with friends, Mm -hmm. that is not considered a bullying situation. Um, Conflict situation is when there isn't an imbalance of power. There is the same amount of power. We're not having fun, but there's actually a solution that can be made, you know, out of a conflict situation. You know, we can actually find a common solution for both of you guys or the kids that are involved. And then there's a mean situation. And a mean situation is where, yes, there is an imbalance of power. Yes, the action is done on purpose. But there isn't the third P, which is pattern. It's just an isolated event, something that that has happened once in a long time. It's not something that's been repeated. It doesn't include the same group of people or the same individual. So really um, identifying these types of situations and the three Ps can really help a parent or a teacher really identify if it is a situation of the student or the child being bullied or not. Right. So it's an, it's not just a, a simple case of being left out one day, uh, you know, from a party or uh, somebody not playing with you or that kind of thing. It right. has to be uh, over time, there has to be intent, there has to be an imbalance in power. Lisa, I want to bring you in on the conversation here and, and from your experience as a as a principal, a school principal. And, and uh, with bullying, uh, you've come from the United States as well. Um, and what has been your experience uh, of how it kind of manifests itself at school um, and how it's dealt with? So I want to say that I agree with what Danielle is saying in terms of um, the misuse of this term, because mm. I, I think there's um, increasingly a disconnect um, across societies to understand that conflict is natural. Conflict is um, actually something that is supposed to happen. Um, what we're not spending enough time on, perhaps, is examining that we have different ways of approaching conflict. Um, and those are rooted in, in culture. Um, and in how our experience is growing up. Um, and so understanding our own conflict style and understanding perspective of other people's conflict style can really be a helpful step towards teaching more productively into um, whether it's adults or children um, approach conflict. Um, so from a school perspective, I think I, I often feel like what gets missed is understanding that if someone is in a situation where they are um, bullying another child repetitively, um, that child is in pain. That child is really suffering. Um, no one is bullying from a place of feeling good about themselves. You're talking about the bully themselves. About the bully That's themselves. really important, yeah, to um, think exactly from the perspective, that perspective as well, not just from the victim's perspective. Um, it, exactly. Well, because if you want to really change the behavior, right, if you just sort of punishing the bully or acting as if that person's doing something wrong without any kind of problem solving towards um, teaching them out of that pattern of behavior um, is problematic. And I've often felt like children I have seen who've been bullies have themselves been the recipients of bullying behavior. Um, And so it's a a rather learned behavior. Um, So I think that's sort of 
that that's why it's complicated is because it has to really be identified. The child um, herself or himself needs to be uh, made to be more transparent about why they're doing what they're doing and understand more of the root cause, um, created in a, a safe place where they can start to take some risk and then um, teach them out of that behavior. We've opened up the discussion with Lisa Ripiger, principal at Clarion School, and Daniela Salazar, uh, psychologist at Lighthouse Arabia, all about bullying today. We'd love for you to get in touch. Uh, do you have uh, experience with it? Do your kids have experience with it? Uh, is it something that you are trying to fight yourself? Or do you have a solution for it? Uh, what kind of experiences uh, have you been in? Get in touch with Life Beats here on Pulse95. The heart of Sharjah. The heart. The heart of Sharjah. Pulse 95. Life Beats. Life Beats. With Sally Musa. Only on Pulse 95. 95. We're continuing the conversation on bullying this morning on Life Beats. Now, uh, taking a look at what happens in a, a bullying situation. Uh, with you, Daniela and uh, Lisa, in terms of um, what's going on, in, in you know, let's take a role play of a bullying situation and what's going on there in terms of uh, what's happening to the victim, uh, what's happening from the perspective of the bully, uh, and also the bystanders, the kids who are bystanders who uh, may want to intervene but might be too afraid. Uh, what needs to be happening uh, in this situation? I would say before we even get to figuring out what you do inside of this bullying situation, because that's sort of like coming at the perspective of once there's already a crisis, now we're trying to intervene. I think preemptively what's needed is teaching some really solid um, social-emotional health, which in included in that is teaching some sense of some healthy boundaries um, and sort of for children to understand what they're responsible for and what they're not responsible for. So um, someone else and how they're feeling or what they're saying needs to be acknowledged as being legitimate, um, but not my responsibility. Right. So I think sometimes um, we're not doing enough preventatively to teach children um, how to be a friend, like what friendship really is. I think I see a lot of students being very confused between the difference of being friendly and being a friend. Um, they think they're friends with everybody, and then when someone does something nice to them, um, they're not a friend. Um, and I think that in some ways, the part of the problem is even the language that adults, teachers, or grown-ups grown can use is that we're all friends, everyone's friends. And they sort of overgeneralize this idea of friendship and don't cleanly enough define that a friend is um, actually quite rare. Like, we don't have, we shouldn't have an expectation that we're going to have um, hundreds of friends, but we can be friendly to lots of people. Um, and so I feel like I've done a lot of work with children over time about um, helping them understand, like, there are going to be people that they're not going to have great connections with in their class or in their school. That doesn't mean they um, should be mean to them, right? That they just need to be friendly, like I'm friendly with lots of people, but I let only a few people very close into my heart, into my life, and really trust that deeply, and that's really a friend. So I think it starts with some redefining of friendship um, before we find ourselves helping to problem solve out of the conflict. Yeah. And I also want to contribute to that idea that it really um, helps to 
have that social emotional um, talk and within the classroom, having that safe environment that the teacher can actually give the students, you know, to really from the beginning of the year set the expectations and set the rules as a team. Okay, what is what mm -hmm. is expected from us in the classroom? How do we how can we really treat each other and have the students be the ones that help build these rules because they um, develop a sense of uh, belonging, a sense of ownership, you know, of their for their own reactions, for their own behaviors. And in that sense, you know, we're all a team. We're all here to spend eight hours a day together. You know, we want to be friendly, like you say, with each other. Uh, we don't have to really like you, like each other. We don't want to, but we need to have that sense of respect and um, teamwork, you know. And in that sense, um, if we have those foundations very clear, then we can go in and, you know, when the situation of bullying arise, we can then identify, okay, what roles are each of the kids playing and why are they having these roles? Um, for example, um, going back to what you said earlier, when we really see a bullying situation, there's three characters that we really need to focus on. You know, the bully mm -hmm. um, and understand where he's coming from. You know, he's probably coming from um, previous episodes of him being bullied himself or um, a lack of security, you know, maybe not having um, close relationships really in his life or he's not being taught any social skills. So, you know, knowing that he lacks these social skills, well, we need to get there, get in there and teaching those social skills. Mm. Um, in the bullied perspective, well, he's vulnerable. He doesn't know how to stand up for himself. So that self-esteem needs to be really encouraged as well from school, from parents, from everyone, from all the adults that surround him. Um, and at the same time, well, you know, we need, also need to teach him social skills. We'll be assertive, you know, say what, what you mean, um, you know, ask for respect, ask for help if you need help. Not necessarily an adult, but call in a friend so a friend can help you out. Um, and then again, the bystander point of view where, you know, that bystander can have an active supportive role in that situation where bullying takes place. Because what is the, the active supportive role? Because sometimes kids are told, well, you know, stay out of it. Don't engage uh, with the bully because something could happen to them uh, in that situation. And But then other times they're told, you know, you've got to get in there. You've got to help your, your friends. You've got to, you know, stick up to the bully. Uh, yeah. So which one is it? Okay. Well, um, a bystander, of course, they have this fear of intervening because one, they might not know how to deal with the situation. They just want to run away. They want to avoid conflict. Mm. Two, they might even say, oh, you know what? The person that's being bullied deserves to be bullied because I've seen him being mean to other people. Three, they might say, no, someone else is going to come in and interfere. So, you know, I might not be the one that wants to do that. Um, you know, so all these things are going into their mind. So a supportive bystander means, you know, even sending a small text message after the situation. Hey, you know, I saw what went on today. That wasn't cool. How are you feeling? You know, I'm here for you. I'm here to talk about it. Or an active bystander can also be actually the person that intervenes and says, hey, you know what? That's not cool what you're doing. You know, you know, you should treat everyone equally. It's not nice to make fun of him. And then that person that's being bullied has that support and what research has shown is that actually bystanders are intervening less than 20 percent of the situations where they're experiencing a bullying situation and of course bullying happens in front of other people so imagine just 20 percent of those situations being intervened by bystanders and when bystanders actually play an active role conflict ends within the next 20 seconds 
So the bystanders have such an important role in these situations. So really encouraging these students to be active, to be supportive, to send a text message, to intervene and actually stop the situation in itself can have such big impact. Mm. So true, so true. Uh, we've got text messages coming in, uh, one from Doreen saying that my son uh, was bullied for being the quiet, studious one at school. I'm going to put that to our, our two experts here uh, in the studio, Lisa and Daniela. We are talking bullying here on Life Beats on Pulse 95. The heart of Sharjah. The heart. The heart of Sharjah. Pulse 95. Life Beats. Life Beats. With Sally Musa. Only on Pulse 95. 95. We are talking bullying and there are uh, texts coming in here on 4215 uh, on Itasalat and 2022 uh, on Do. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, Darreen says that my son was bullied for being uh, the quiet, studious one at school. He was always too afraid to fight back. Daniela and uh, Lisa. Your thoughts on this? Well, um, first we need to go back and understand, um, you know, how the situation arose. Like if this is really bullying that we're talking about, mm -hmm. you know, going back to the three P's, if this is something that has been a pattern, something that's been repetitive, something that has been um, shown to be an imbalance of power. Um, and if it was done on purpose, you know, they might say things um, that they don't mean. And so we really need to go back and reframe again if this is a situation that has been going on for a while. And if it is something that has been going on for a while and we can actually frame it as a bullying situation, then we need to go back and see, okay, well, um, how many um, abilities does he have to ask for help? Do we need to help him build on those social um, skills? Can we give him the tools he needs and those personal resources to actually, hey, raise his hand and say, this is happening. Um, ha it sounds like that might, you know, uh, be needed to help here because, you know, being the quiet one, um, somebody who, you know, just keeps to themselves, I imagine, uh, doesn't want to rock the boat, doesn't want to um, be in any kind of conflict. Um, you know, are there kind of personalities that are more likely, personality types that are more likely to be bullied? Of course. Yeah. Like the ones that are more quiet, reserved, introverts. Um, of course, those are those are seen, quote unquote, as vulnerable, right? Because they uh, don't have those personal resources to actually stand up and say, hey, this is going on or mm. leave me alone or, hey, it's not nice what you're doing or calling for a friend to help them out in that situation or even an adult and asking them for help. So, of course, those type of personalities tend to be um, the focus of these type of bullying situations. Mm. Um, and this is where we really need to take a stand and say, OK, so what type of soft skills um, do I as a parent can give my child to help them um, overcome the situation of bullying? If it is so um, assertive skills, you know, deflect strategies to, you know, tell him, you know, what, say something that acts like, you know, you don't care about the situation and really ask for help later on. You know, those type of strategies that kind of our soft skill strategies and knowing how to really intervene and relate to others in a way where you're you're getting your rights um, defended in some way, you right. know, like standing up for yourself in some way. Yeah. Hannah has also texted in uh, saying that my daughter was bullied on the bus. Uh, so uh, she shared a bus uh, with a boy who was a bully. He would always be kicking her seat in um, and calling her names and just, uh, just being horrendous every single day. But the person... Uh, who was on the bus, the supervisor, couldn't do anything about it. Lisa. Right. 
So I think both of these situations are pretty typical. Um, and part of the tension between an adult coming in and intervening is that can, if, it's, if that's what we do initially, it takes, it also helps take the power away from the child who's the victim. So I think um, the first approach I try to take, whether it's a clarion or um, in the context of being a teacher or an administrator, is to try to understand um, from the perspective usually of both um, children who are involved what's happening, but then coach the coach the victim um, separately so that I'm giving them some body language cues um, as well as verbally what they can say. Because sometimes some of it is about picking up nonverbal communication, how you stand, um, how you look, like where you look down. Some of these kinds of things are pretty subtle, but I think that children who find themselves as the victim need more prompting to empower themselves so they can find their voice, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if that isn't successful, then I do think that um, adults have to come, mm-hmm. have to intervene. Uh, in the case of the, the probably the, the child who's being bullied for being bright in school, um, you know, that's not completely atypical in the sense that... Um, there is an unfortunate paradigm that happens where someone who's been um, doing something that society really values, like right. being successful academically, is actually, it's ironic, is actually then being made to feel less than. And so I think um, helping that child understand how um, perhaps it's that he is so naturally talented, he does so well, and someone's feeling more insecure and jealous about that. Mm. Helping him understand that perspective um, can in fact empower him because he's probably always going to do well in school and is for sure his parents want him to be um, successful in school and that's why it's painful for the parent. Um, nothing the, to be ashamed of. Nothing to be ashamed yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, he's, he should be celebrated for that. Absolutely. Um, and for the child who's on the bus, um, she probably needs some, there's, there's other issues around um, gender that, that can get, get involved and lots of things where you know, it sounds like this case the boys are sort of taking advantage of perhaps their even perceived physical power because of their gender differences. Um, and she probably does need to be emboldened to feel like she could have stood up on the bus and even made to feel like she was as strong as they, even if she's kind of faking her way through it for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it needs to be sh- shut down. And in order for the pattern to change, um, it'd be helpful if she is the one who's able to do it. Sometimes parents, though, uh, will complain and say, actually, nothing was done. About the bullying by the grown-ups, by the grown-ups, yeah. by the whoever was meant to be in charge in that situation, by the school, by whoever. What do you say to them? I think that's probably a very fair criticism in many cases. Um, in the case of um, people who are on the bus, often you find situations where the adults who work on buses or in that role can mm. find themselves bullied by the children, um, and so ultimately the larger grown-ups in schools who are in power, the administrators need to come in. Um, and be more disciplinary, right? There needs to be a, a negative consequence that makes sense for um, the punishment. Like, was that child ever um, told that he was going to be removed from the bus, right? Was he given a chance to self-correct for his behavior? Um, and if that self-correction didn't happen, was he actually removed from the bus? We're going to uh, be talking uh, a little bit more next about a really great point that uh, you both have been bringing up, um, all about what parents are doing, the role that they play in the lead up to a, a bullying incident, but what they can do afterwards as well. It's Life Beats here with me, Sally Musa on Pulse 95. The heart of Sharjah. Pulse 95. Keeping it local. 
All day, every day. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa, only on Pulse 95. 95. In the last few minutes uh, with Lisa Replica, she is the principal at Clarion School and Dania- Daniela Salazar, clinical psychologist at Lighthouse Arabia, talking uh, bullying and what we can do. Parents have a very, very important role to play here uh, when we talk about bullying. Do they not, Daniela? Yes. Uh, and Lisa? Yes, definitely. I think um, parents and teachers both have a very important role when it comes to bullying children. And for parents, I think my biggest suggestion is to actually have a platform for children to actually feel comfortable going home and actually talking about how their day was and um, really have um, feelings talk, you know, having encouraging those expression of feelings. And sometimes, you know, parents are so busy with work. And so they come and just, you know, just get tangled up in their routines and dinner and and, you know, getting them ready, but not sitting with them for 10 to 15 minutes to just really engage and really realize what is happening at school and how are they feeling, if they're feeling safe, if they're feeling comfortable, if they were scared about a test, if they uh, were scared about joining in a new group of friends out in the playground. Um, and, you know, trying to change that question, not how is school today, because that's very easy to say good or bad, you know, just changing those questions to something else. What was the most exciting part of your day? Um, what was uh, the most difficult part of your day? What was so exciting that you did at the at recess? You know, what type of things did you play with your friends? Who did you play with? So there is a little more um, conversation going on about what's happening at school. How is the child feeling, feel, feeling at school? Um, really encouraging um, a lot of value work, you know, um, understanding what are the family values, respect, communication, honesty, and really modeling these things at home as well. Do you want to? Do you know what I find really interesting is um, it can be easy to ask those questions. The hardest thing in this day and age, uh, I'm putting my hand up first before anybody else, is sitting there and actually looking your child in the eye without a phone in your hand and asking those questions and listening really carefully to the answer in a way that you're actually listening and interested. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And actually being there. And in being that there moment. and not yeah. distracted and not thinking, oh, I've got two minutes. I'm going to go and, you know, I'm going to do this. And it's not something you tick off, you know, in your to-do list for the day. But just, you know, be there and being there for your for your child and, and listening. Yeah, completely. And again, for teachers, the same thing, you know, building that safe environment in the classroom where children have that trust and that um, teacher is there to listen, to actually understand what's going on, to pay really close attention to how they're feeling and what um, what is happening within the, the classroom itself. Because, mm-hmm. you know, 24 kids, it's so much to handle. You know, I understand these teachers can, are overwhelmed with so many kids, but really taking that five second minute you know to to a minute time where you're really listening to the child and understanding why he's so hurt why is he afraid you know is important it's so crucial for them and lisa something that you mentioned earlier before is to to for us to be really aware about um what's going on what's being modeled to that child between parents uh but for the parents as well to be aware of um, are there bullying situations that they're actually in uh, that are affecting the wider family dynamic? Well, I would just think it's worth people thinking about other adult experiences they've had where they recognize that they've either 
been the recipient of some bullying behavior? Um, and then what did they do in that situation? What, how did they contribute to actually, in a way, allowing it to happen? Um, and were there approaches that they took to shifting that dynamic? Um, I can certainly think of at least one recent example in um, the last few years where I, I found myself feeling bullied by a staff member. Um, not not here um, in Dubai, fortunately, but I did experience that um, in New York. And um, it took a lot of very concentrated work on my part to, um, again, put some um, more deliberate intention and boundaries in that relationship and not allow myself to be triggered by that other individual, that other person who could sort of in, incite a, a level of um, fury inside of me. Um, so I was allowing that to happen, and I had to become really self-aware around not allowing that to happen. And it changed the dynamic, and I reasserted an appropriate amount of um, autonomy in myself and like balance inside the relationship. Mm. And I think we forget that children are watching us, kids are watching us, uh, whether it be dynamics between the mom and the dad or mm -hmm. something happened at work that you know, you will subconsciously bring that home and, uh, you know, they will hear about that or whatever it is. So uh, it, it's just been a wonderful discussion with the two of you. I uh, would love to continue it further, but thank you so much, Daniela Salazar, uh, clinical psychologist at Lighthouse Arabia and Lisa Ripperger, uh, principal at Clarion School. Thank you. Thank it's you It's been much. incredibly insightful. Thank you. Uh, don't forget, if you missed the discussion, you can find it on our Life Beats podcast on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. But coming up next, we're going to be talking about how to write that book that you've got inside of you. Once and for all, the passionpreneur Mustafa Hamwi is going to be giving us five practical steps to take your book from paper napkin to paperback. That's next with me, Sally Musa, on Life Beats on Pulse95. The Heart of Sharjah. Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95.